like there was a generation of us who knew the work that it took to get there and then we had these kids who came behind and like our junior year they they had been on the sidelines their freshman year so my junior year they're sophomores and they're going we're starters now we deserve this like Oh, we're amazing. We're an amazing team. We deserve to go to nationals. I've always been saying, like, this era of rugby now is the highest possible chance that rugby has ever had to actually be able to evolve and grow the way it should be. But my brain is always scattered, and I think of things in more of a web, a web, a web organization structure. So when I look at a lot of international rugby and I see things that, you know, are cool or that I think we could replicate maybe on a simpler, you know, (laughs) simpler structure, (laughs) obviously for like new collegiate players. Um, You know, yeah, I think about it. I think about how we could incorporate that into our game. uh, Right. Actually, The, the electricity that you need whenever you're about to step on the field and you're like, Am I going to have enough energy to run for the full 80 minutes? Or, yo, am I going to have enough for the 15? Oh, man, that first hit, that first pass, that touching the ball. Yeah, it, it, it all comes within that that game time. I think the minute I stepped on our practice field for rugby, the calling happened. But an eight-year plan to be on the team. And I was in it within two years. Don't wait until you are a pro to be a pro. Right. And I walk around with a rugby ball sometimes, and they're like, what is this child on? It looks like it was a heavy. Yeah. It's up. It's not up. You know, that's the first time I played, like, professionally. I'm making rugby money. How can I make money outside of it? And there's two Scottish guys, and I said, oh, you're, um, you're here for the movie. That rugby is a game for all shapes and sizes, all cultural um, aspects. And he looked at me, and he says, you guys are awesome. <laughs> Yo, what's up, everybody? Welcome to another great episode of Grow Rugby. My name is Gift Gift Time Ibalu, and this is the show where we speak to people about the opportunities that they have found, created, or taken advantage of via rugby. I have to needless say that whenever you are trying to do something significant, And there is just everything happening at the same time. Something always takes a hit. I hate that I have to keep missing out on these great stories that we get to have. But uh, just needless to say, it's it's part of the bigger plan. And it's going to be well worth it as it all comes together with time. Y'all, this week we have an amazing guest. She is a coach. She is an administrator. She is a former player. She is... Just an adventurer in general, Catherine Aversanu, uh, best known as the head coach for the Howard University rugby women's team. Uh, we had an amazing discussion with her. This was a little bit past. So in the time that we've had this discussion to when it's being posted, uh, she and the Howard University rugby women have won games against Mary Washington, uh, one of her alma maters, as well as Georgetown, beating both teams by a combined score of 71 to 13 so uh big kudos to a great start for this rugby team and just so much happening through and speaking of things that are happening yo we got the rugby world cup about to happen like this is this weekend is a rugby world cup 
2021, we're finally getting it. I mean, mind you, I mean, it's a year late, but, you know, blame COVID. You know, New Zealand finally opened up, and we got some great action. Uh, guys, get ready to take a look at some of this stuff for uh, Thursday and Friday because we're going to drop some nice reviews for you to be able to share with people to know what to look for in this Rugby World Cup. And uh, I'm really excited to be able to get to watch it. 2017 was Dumb crazy good. And so they have so much to be able to build on for this next one. Though I, I wish, I feel like the advertising has been far less. And I think it's a little bit of a uh, a sad concept. Like, we're talking about selling 30,000 tickets, which is amazing. But I do not feel like the television and viewership marketing for this has been very high. And and, and I think that's a very much of a... Needless to say, a, a a displacement for the women that are about to present. As well as USA as they enter into their fourth place position trying to take out the first place. We're trying to get the gold this time. Ain't nobody stopping us. All right? We're not getting stopped. All right? Top three, nothing less. I know we got this. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I, I'm, I'm excited for it. I'm super excited for it. Also excited because we also got the HBCU Rugby Classic coming up. Going to be the first to announce it right now. So if you're hearing it, then, you know, listen to the podcast. You're getting the first announcement. But definitely suggest uh, signing up for the HBCU Rugby Classic mailing list. Uh, definitely will give you a chance to be able to know about any ticket situations, uh, giveaways, marketing stuff that we have to be able to offer to you. But most importantly... HBCU Rugby Classic officially will be taking place on March 31st through April 2nd, 2023 at William H. Green Stadium at Howard University. Yes, it is finally going to be inside an HBCU, uh, uh, unlike the last time because, you know, there were situations that occurred. But, But we're finally able to be inside the HBCU. Great partnership with this Howard University rugby program. Uh, Great partnership with the people in the Washington, D.C. area. I am hella excited to keep doing this because this has been an amazing process. And we still have a lot to go. A lot to go. And and just stay tuned because there's going to be some amazing news that's going to keep popping up as the time goes. So... I'm really excited. I'm happy for this. I hope you guys know. Save the date. All right. This is this is a wedding moment, if you want to say. All right. Save the absolute date. HBCU Rugby Classic, March 31st to April 2nd, 2023. You don't want to miss out. And lastly, please don't forget to get yourself one of our shirts at the Rugby Outlet Mall. We are coming in hot. Our Rugby Pal uh, shirt, our, our Connor Rugby shirts, of course, our uh, uh, HBC Rugby Classic shirts, and we're going to be coming in with some hot ones coming in for 2023 really, really soon. But of course, because you listen to this podcast, we want to give you at least a little something to go by, and you guys can get 10% off your first orders on anything in the store by typing in Grow Rugby, G R E A U X Rugby. And you will get your percentage off of that. It's going to be dope. I definitely think that it's worth it. And it's my appreciation for you guys taking a listen and being just consummate supporters. I I, I definitely appreciate it all the way through. Awesome. And, of course, guys, um, I don't have anything else to add to it because uh, I want to get you guys 
into the mix. So, dude, I want to say I had my return to rugby as well, too. I did have one more thing, and you guys are going to take it. Return to rugby. Didn't quite get it, but we're coming back. All right, I'm, I'm getting back onto the pitch so that I can be able to take this around and uh, we can continue showing out that uh, never too old to keep playing. You know, that's what I'm saying. So without further ado, don't want to hold you back from the great, the awesome head coach, Howard University Rugby Women, Catherine Aversanu. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another great episode of Grow Rugby. I got another the super I incredible P for our guest. I got it right this time. Yes, for our guest. She's been running Howard. She's been a key component in, in rugby, even before the Howard University stuff, because I have remembered seeing you around uh, a, a long time before that. I want to say even North Carolina area. <laughs> Catherine Aversanu. Catherine, thank you so much for coming through on the show. <laughs> yeah, no problem. I'm I'm really psyched to be here. Uh, you know, you got you've had some amazing folks, and I am privileged and honored to to just be one in a long list of amazing guests. <laughs> and hey, look, like I, I say before, the honor is all ours. You know, it's always a privilege, and and getting to know these stories has been uh, one that's always been a pleasure, and uh, it's always a blessing at the same time to be like, hey. People actually are willing to talk. All right. That's that's always good to know. <laughs> and people want to listen, which is another thing. Yeah. Who <laughs> so knows to you? <laughs> you? Look, 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 look. We, we, all I can do is just uh, uh, hopefully be there to be able to create the comfortable platform. Outside of that, <laughs> hey, we just, we just open here. Let us be transparent. <laughs> nice. <laughs> but I, I will, like I said, you know, I've, I've known – I've, there, before I knew you, I knew of you prior to the Howard University stuff. And, you know, really, I think it it kicked off. I want to make sure I say it correct. So I'm, I'm see, just on the pod. I'll make sure. I, but kicked off with North Carolina and uh, with 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 under Katie Worst um, and and being able to with the homie that, you know, that's forever the homie over there for me. So, you know, over at um, at. Uh, Queens University. Ah, yep. I was about to come around. Yes. <laughs> you know, so with Queens, and, and that was really where I think I first heard about you the most because Katie, like I said, you know, brought it in and created that amazing program, uh, all things considering, but helped creating that program and and just the ambition that went into that because I'm always a big advocate of people doing, not just creating something that is that we know, but trying to do it in a way that breaks the mold of, yep. of how it's done. And that one was uniquely interesting for me, you know, with your work with her there. And then obviously we've always had the, the, the friend within rugby and, and BIPOC mm-hmm. and your support, and you've been a very big advocate. So again, you know, uh, it, it's been something I've been wanting to do for <laughs> a hot minute. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, well, you know, I'm always happy to talk about Howard. Uh, it's always a weird I, I, thing. Talk so about wanna... yourself. So happy to talk about whatever with you. <laughs> Breaking the mold, baby. Breaking yeah, the mold. yeah, exactly. So I want to start off. 
So I want to start off, as I always say, you know, every superhero has an origin story. We always want to get to know because the better to know the story is better to know, (laughs) better to know where the person is always going. So, Catherine, I want to ask, how did you get started in rugby? (laughs) Um, So I kind of have a dual start with rugby. Um, I played in college. You know, I went to, I was supposed to go to college for volleyball. I played every sport in high school, got fouled out, you know, was the aggressive kid and was supposed to play volleyball, um, the rugby, but that was a winter sport. So the rugby team found me in September and I was, you know, I never stepped foot on the volleyball court after I was on the pitch. So uh, thankfully, I wasn't going for a scholarship or anything. I didn't have to, you know, reject anything. I just was like, oh, never showed up to volleyball. Um, love the sport and you can, you know, hit things and jump and all of that. But rugby, you tackle and that's a lot better than just hitting hitting things. It's better I mean, to hit people. Um, right. It, yeah. Better, better the person than the floor, you know, exactly. like, like, <laughs> yeah. No, what university were you uh, supposed to, what university were you going to at that time? Um, That was Mary Washington. So nice. just, you know, a little South of DC in Fredericksburg. Um, when I was there, we went to nationals my sophomore year and my senior year. And that was like the first time we went. So, you know, I also got a taste of like the success of, of rugby at the level that we were at, which was D2. And, um, and then after college, I thought I was done. I, you know, went on to go to Howard Law and start my career. And I was doing triathlons and I wasn't looking at a a team sport anymore. And then when I turned 30, I went skydiving as a celebration for the first time. And the parachute crashed or the parachute collapsed. I crashed and I fractured my spine, had a compound tib fib uh, and just the recovery process of that got me started thinking about rugby again and, you know, kind of had me tapping into the stubborn uh kind of loving the pain hating the pain dichotomy and i realized you know i may not be able to run it not that i was enjoying running triathlons i was swimming and biking that was my thing but look there's a lot to unwrap on that one just alone because you 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 said a whole lot right there and i'm i like how you say casually like it was just like "Eh," you know did some triathlons parachute compressed my spine you know hey we just made it back it's a story. Told, it's a story I've told many, many times at this point. So it just kind of rolls, off, run through rolls the off the tongue. <laughs> yeah. Yo, look, look. Okay, uh-huh. so let, let's 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 rotate this back a little bit here. So, kind of first and foremost, is your family like a naturally athletic family? Is it uh, generational, or is it just something that was very specific to you? Um, so I am, so my dad played basketball. That was his big thing. Um, and my mom was, you know, not athletic. She is Irish Catholic and conservative (laughs) to the, to the nines. Um, but she was, she was always really supportive of me being just kind of this rough and tumble kid, 
you know, like rocks in your pockets, scrapes all over your legs, knees, arms, whatever. And so I think at some point she just kind of fought that and was like, you're going to play whatever you're going to play. Um, but one thing that was I love about her so much that she never learned the rules to volleyball, basketball, soccer, none of it. But she learned rugby. And wow. that always kind of amazed me. And she would come watch me play every once in a while. And, you know, I'd come off battered, bloodied, you know, dirty. And she'd be like, you are smiling bigger than you've ever <laughs> smiled. And she's like, and you look like death. And I'm like, I enjoy it. I don't I don't know what to tell you. So, um, you know, big kudos to, to my mom for that. And my dad was what? kind of like, he just... I don't know. Rugby wasn't the thing. For some reason, it switched when I went to college. The dichotomy, the dichotomy switched. So he was worried about his baby girl. He was just like, "Look, look, I, I, I accept this, but I'm gonna have to kick somebody's ass if they do something to her in their worst I, way." Yeah, I think he just didn't understand it, and like, I, I don't know why that was like a bridge too far. But my mom was all about it. So, and she really enjoyed teaching other parents, which was so on the, nice. on the bench. That was so cute. So, so, yeah. Let me ask this. Because your mom's Irish, is she Irish Catholic, like born, like Boston kind of, New York? Uh, Brooklyn. Or Brooklyn, okay. Brooklyn, so yeah. she's, she's, she's generationally Irish, not coming from the land Irish. No, no. Uh, yeah, she's generationally. So did you ever, did she ever get that connection of Ireland and rugby and then was like, you know what, this is almost tapping into my ancestry a little bit right now. (laughs) Like this one makes sense. Baseball, basketball, volleyball. No, I don't know anything here, but this, this is us here. (laughs) We're together on this. I don't know. I I mean, she definitely like, you know, saw more Ireland jerseys, saw the Guinness Ireland jerseys and but I don't, you know, I don't know if it was like a heart connection or she just finally was like, well, she's not playing roller derby or, you know, I don't, I don't, I have no idea. But, um, you know, she still comments on the ways I've changed my coaching from when I played, you know, because the games evolved. And, and she's like, you never would have right, told people not to go into a ruck when you were playing. You never would have done that. And I'm like, <laughs> I know. So, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. So even from there, you know, yeah. being able to get the family, because that's always one of the tough, tough, tough might not always be the right word, but one of the, the harder sells because parents typically in my my experience, especially in the States, just don't know. So it's just like, okay, you're just doing this weird thing that like, are you sure you want to give your time to this? Like, can we focus? So it, it's always nice whenever they're like, I feel like it's a different feeling when your parents get engaged into the rugby as well, where they're just like, all right, we're going to embrace it. And you're like, really? You know, come out here, watch it. Okay, let's go. Yeah, I mean, I think she, you know, my mom definitely didn't feel alone there. You know, I I think my freshman year, I bought her the bumper sticker that said, like, yes, mom, I'm still playing rugby. And she was just like, oh, so other parents feel exactly the same way. And I'm like, yes, they all feel the same way. And they all know as long as they don't get a call from a stranger on Saturday, you're fine. Um, you know, you may be passed out, you may be too tired, you may have a concussion, but as long as they're not getting a call from a doctor and not you, then you're okay. 
Yo, yeah, look, it's a true story right there. It's yeah. a very, very true story. You know, so so you 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 have this family base on it, and so as you said, you were going into college, heading to 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 you know, Mary Mary Washington for volleyball. Now, yeah. I'm assuming that you were going in as like obviously a walk on or um, uh, varsity exclusive varsity kind of situation. Yeah, so Mary Washington um, preferred varsity. D- That's yeah, yeah, it's D two rugby, but all of the inter intercollegiate sports um, NCAA are D three, so they didn't have scholarships or anything. Mm-hmm. You know, basically, I was planning on going there, fell in love with the school, and you know, reached out to the volleyball coach and was like, "Hey, I'm five seven. I'm a setter." you know, that's too tall for high school for a setter, but it's a good height for college setter. And, you know, they were just like, Hey, okay, we start practices this day, come on out and, you know, we'll be looking for you. And I sent them some information. Um, But that was it. Yeah. It was just really informal and um, something I could easily back out of for rugby. (laughs) I was about to say, like, did you ever end up talking to that coach again afterwards where you were like, she was like, uh, where were you? We were. (laughs) No. No. <laughs> so uh, sorry about that, guys. Ah, what can I say? <laughs> recruit earlier in the season. <laughs> yeah. Or it's recruiting the spring. It's recruiting the spring. Do better. Yeah. <laughs> Yo. So that's that's awesome. Yep. So you know when it came to that, that rugby, and I, I talked with this because this is almost well, not it's similar. Uh, like Cheddar, Emba, or uh, Koma, Gandhi, Fishman, similar, like soccer team people playing for the team, set to play for the team. And then uh, the r- rugby recruiting hijacking occurred and completely detracted the interest. So tell me, what was the pitch that actually got you on the pitch? Wow. I did not mean to, for that to rhyme as well as it did, but I'm also proud of that, too. <laughs> uh, nice. Yeah. <laughs> Always using rugby terminology. Good, good, good job. Go! <laughs> Punch for days. Yeah, yeah. Um, actually, it wasn't... The pitch was from a friend of mine who just said, I'm going out to rugby. And I was like, I have no idea. You know, a friend. I literally right. made that friend the week before at freshman <laughs> orientation. <laughs> and I, they were I know like, that exact person. Yeah, they were like, I'm going out to rugby. Come join me. I don't want to go alone. <laughs> And I was like, all right, fine. Like, whatever. Cool. And um, that was, yeah. Like, I got to hit people the first time or rock or, you know, I don't I don't think we tackled the first practice. But whatever the physicality of it was, um, it definitely outweighed the pain and annoyance of running. Um, <laughs> so, yeah. And then the first match I was, uh, I played you know, I came on as a prop sub and then the second match mm-hmm. I started as a prop and I never looked back after that. It was just, it was okay, like, this it was is like, what I'm okay. doing. <laughs> my, my soul has been fed at this yeah. moment. There is, there is nothing I am fulfilled, but I must continue to feed on this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, the sports I was always bad at, you know, like softball, I tried lacrosse, uh, I've tried tennis and mm-hmm. all those sports were like, you are given a weapon, but you can't use it as a weapon. Um, especially for women's sports. I love the mindset. Like, especially women's sports. Like, I'm sure I would have, if I was a dude, I would have loved to play men's lacrosse or hockey. Yeah. 
but like I need my feet on the ground and my hands on a ball. I can't right. I can't use other other utilities. Other devices. You don't yeah. want extensions like of yourself. You don't yeah, want extensions of yourself. I just can't do it. Yeah. I can feel that. Yeah. You know, and, and it, it's interesting because I know for me, I I had kind of a similar thing. So in, in two ways. One, almost with rugby initially, when I was when it was brought to my attention that rugby was a real living, active, you know, sport that wasn't just like the fencing equivalent to like wasn't the Renaissance Festival equivalent to like sports to me. Uh, you know, I had yeah. a roommate where not a roommate, a dorm mate who played and had been inviting us for weeks to be able to come on and it was like all right let me check it out and i didn't appreciate it at the time but you know thank god it laid the seeds but even when it comes to other sports other contact sports because you know football person uh was a football person first and foremost when i was younger you know i I had hockey because i'm from iowa so like hockey initially lacrosse i never really knew but hockey was the initial one Mm -hmm. and it just never felt right i'm never one that was just like i don't want to like, if you're giving me something to extend, you can't fault me if I actually make contact with somebody else with that at the same time. It's it's not personal. It yeah. just is, you know, efficient. <laughs> yeah, no, one of the coolest things I saw, like, in high school, I was watching my friend, my, my dude friends play lacrosse and literally got his forearm broken in half by, by a check. And I was like, ah. Oh, women can't even do that. Like if, even if I were to play, I can't even do that. It just, you know, so the barriers there, like you said, it hits different, but also the barriers between men's and women's contact sports are, you know, they're massive and I'm a nightmare on skates. So that's completely out of the, out of the thought process there. Watch your hands of that one. Yeah. Uh, I I love watching hockey. I'm a huge hockey fan, but I'm a nightmare on skates. So yeah. Yeah. No, makes the perfect sense. So, you know, obviously you've been able to get this and it it tapped in. So in that four years, what was it that you think kind of changed the most from whenever you started rugby to where you got to the point at the end of your your four years? Because you got to see national champions or at least go to high levels of playoffs. Mm -hmm. You got a national championship uh, playing. And, you know, Mary Washington, for whatever it's worth, is has been a really prominent D2 program for a while. Now, you know, I, I remember yeah. whenever they were working to um, increase it over to D1, maybe five, six, seven years ago. But I remember they were it was very dedicated in their in their efforts and in D2. So for you, what was one of the biggest changes that existed in that for you? Um, I don't know about personally. I mean, you know, being a prop playing all fall, all spring wears on you. (laughs) So (laughs) my body got real old real quick. Um, But the interesting dynamic, like you said, with that kind of progression was, so we went to nationals my sophomore year. That was the first time the women had ever, well, the program had ever been. The men hadn't been at that point either. And like there was a generation of us who knew the work that it took to get there. And then we had these kids who came behind and like our junior year first, they, they had been on the sidelines their freshman year. So my junior year, they're sophomores and they're going, we're starters. Now we deserve this. Like, Oh, we're amazing. We're an amazing team. We deserve (laughs) to go to nationals. And we're like, 
yo, like, no, it's, <laughs> it's taken years for this program to get to this point. And, you know, it was really funny. They wanted to sacrifice going to like Savannah and some other fun stuff that we threw in there. Mm. And we're like, you don't just get there by A, wanting it or B, by removing all the fun. And we didn't get there my junior year. And then like my senior year, everybody who had been sophomore, because we had a big class, everybody who had been sophomore year basically laid down the law and was like, yo, we're going to Savannah. We're doing the fun stuff. <laughs> and y'all are just going to have to deal with it. <laughs> and so, and we made it, we made it back, which, nice. you know, I think right, right then, now that I'm back in rugby on, you know, in the administrative coaching, manage, you know, all that side, the, I think for me, that was kind of a shift in the game where, yeah where we still haven't found that happy medium of like, yes, you can still do fun stuff. You can be a fun team, but then really pursue success. Um, right. You know, rugby's really bifurcated into, I'm going to go the elite route or, or I'm going to be, be a social club and dick around. Right. Um, and I think, you know, the unfortunate thing is, especially for kids coming up from high school who have experience if they don't make it to an elite team college, they don't want to play. And there's a middle ground and it's an awesome middle ground. Like that was the most fun part for me was, okay. Yeah. We weren't, you know, getting a couple cases the night before a game, but we were (laughs) still, you know, when the work was done, we still enjoyed each other. And, you know, it's just interesting to kind of see, the culture of the game and who's picking up different elements of it and who's able to continue it. And then who's fighting the professionalism and going, no, we're grassroots. And it's like, well, we're giving scholarships. We can't be completely grassroots anymore. And so (laughs) that dynamic of the evolution of the game and still, you know, 20 years after I stopped, playing competitively we still haven't figured out in the u.s is yeah but but you know that's that's really interesting (laughs) but but you know i i think that's one of the it's the interesting thing that goes with with rugby especially now in it today because we have this 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 element where it, it, it's it's still almost a blank canvas mind you yeah we've we've shaped around what the canvas can has been but it's still not like painted on the inside. What what is it like? You said what is that middle ground between being professional, and being so, uh, uh, being social? What is that ground where you are high enough to exclusively be talented and and perform high, while simultaneously being down to earth and still accessible? It's it's yeah. it's the paradox of rugby, but I think. It's one that had to only be fixed at this moment by the forced connection or at least a forced evolution that um, you have to break out of what is that natural tradition. It is just it's it's literally breaking out that full mode. So I've always been saying like this era of rugby now is the highest possible chance that rugby has ever had to actually be able to evolve and grow the way it should be because every other situation before 
was always going to be limited by the factor of I can't see anybody else well unless I have satellite, unless I'm in another country, unless this. So it's simply just the picture of what is being done, brought in by somebody else, implemented, and then it's just like it's either we drink all day and happen to play rugby or we're running all day. You don't do anything major seriously fun. But, uh, uh, you know, you're going to be able to perform and then you just have a bunch of people who burn out in the game. But now it's like there's these elements here in the middle that now we can work on. But like you said, it's it's still a process because we're still working to find that middle. I just think it's it may be more plausible now than it would have been maybe 10. I'll even say since at least 2010. No, even earlier, since at least 2014. <laughs> later, I'm not leaving early. Even later, since 2014, I think yeah. it's much easier now than it would have been before. Yeah, I think, you know, the burnout thing that you mentioned is real. Um, that's, oh, oh. <laughs> that is real. Um, <laughs> Speak on it, girl. Speak uh, on it. <laughs> and, you know, the other thing is, getting over that isolation element of rugby where like my, my little world is my little world and nobody else can have a piece of it. And I'm not going to share how I did anything well with people. Um, you know, like, like you said, I think that's, we've been trying to get over that for a while. Um, and you know, I'm always a big advocate of, we have to define what United States rugby is and, you know, we can't let, uh, we can't let, other people define what rugby is to us. Like we needed other countries to bring us the game. You know, we needed military, you know, people in the military to have their global experience, bring us the game. Um, But we're, we're to a point we have to utilize our own people. We've got to find our own style. We have to really identify, you know, who, who America is and who American rugby is and, Make sure our athletes, you know, especially our high level athletes who are representing the country, mm-hmm. make sure they feel like they they have a piece of it and they're not just wearing a jersey that, you know, they sacrificed a whole lot for, but that we all kind right. of value them as American rugby players or, you know, US based right. rugby players. That's that's another thing. I think we're, you know, there's so much I don't know, competition to really figure out who we are. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I'm feeling you on that. And I, I think it, it, it is, again, it goes back to the element, and you just spoke on it, is having had so many people snapshot its way in. And I feel rugby is one sport that, to this day, I don't fully still understand why, but it is the sport, at least in... I'm not even going to say U.S. community because I think it really plays itself out very much worldwide. That doesn't do copycat leaguing. So, like in every other sport or every major sport, let's say, let's say football, basketball, hockey. I don't know hockey as well, but I'll just go football, basketball initially. In football, if you see one type of player and that team succeeds and at the highest level and they win a championship you will start to see an integration of that person's uh, action, that team's uh, um, characteristics. So, mm-hmm. you know, whether it's, hey, we got running quarterbacks now. It seems to work. Watch yeah. a whole slew of running quarterbacks start coming into the league. Or you'll see, oh, okay, we have, um, 
you know, uh, in basketball, okay, everybody's dunking. Now we're going to three-point shoot. And we now see a whole slew of three-point shooters now enter in. But within rugby, despite its regionalization, we still tend to see, like, the same concept happening. So if you said, what is Northern Hemisphere rugby? You're almost going to be consistently, you know, they start from the pack and they run hard and keep it's kind of enclosed and then hope to suck everybody in and hope you take advantage of the wings on the outside. Whereas if you go Southern Hemisphere rugby, everybody spreads out and they just take advantage of speed and open spaces and hope yeah. you're going to just like, wait, why? And, and it might be like maybe just recently. That we're like maybe seeing where they're like, oh, maybe this thing that the all blacks have been doing could work for us. <laughs> or, or, or maybe, oh, look at look at uh, South Africa. Maybe if our pack is just a little bit more athletic, we can maybe actually push a little something more. It's it's just that, but it it's such a process. And here in the US, I think highlights it the most where there's not copycat. It's this is what we do. Uh, this is what we might see other people doing, but it needs to fit into what we do and and create that for you as a coach. And we're going to dive in that a little bit later. But <laughs> as you as a coach, are you do you see that it was that one of the. Is that an element that you take into consideration um, with your your process? Yeah, um, I. You know, <laughs> yes. But I, and I don't want to say that I'm an incredibly unique coach. I've just started to learn kind of how my brain functions. And I'm also that generation of like the last generation where especially women were not diagnosed with ADHD and things like, but my brain is always scattered. And I think of things in more of a web, a web, a web organization structure. So when I look yeah. at a lot of international rugby and I see things that, you know, are cool or that I think we could replicate maybe on a simpler, you know, <laughs> simpler structure, <laughs> obviously for like new collegiate players. Um, you know, I, yeah, I think about it. I think about how we could incorporate that into our game and that's goes for northern hemisphere southern hemisphere if i see it at wpl but the big thing that i try to think about is not hey can we replicate this but can my athletes with what they've brought to the table could they accomplish it like mm -hmm. you know not hey this thing worked so we're gonna try it until we get it right but does this naturally fit with what my athletes bring to the table. You know, if I've got a whole back line of former basketball players, then, you know, their ball handling and their creativity to look at space, see behind them, see in front of them means that we could do some really dynamic things in the back line. But yeah. if they don't naturally have that, there's no reason to drive that concept into the ground to make them get it. You know, like I'm, I, I just, I try to utilize what, all of athletes bring to the table. And from what I've seen, you know, and this isn't the fault of upper level or select sides in the U.S. at all, because they lack money, which means they lack time together right. to work on things like that. But 
you know, at, at upper levels, a lot of these athletes, they, you know, let's say the example, they come in with six amazing skills right. and two of those skills are things that they love to do. They love to try them. You know, it brings them the passion of the game. Well, you could have a coach that says, we only need you for two things. And those other four skills, don't even worry about it. We need you to plug into our system in this way. And that's because, you know, the coach is determining what that system is before they know what players they have. Um, And that it's unfortunate because that's, that's what we're kind of forced to do in the U S at upper levels, just because there's not a lot of money in the game. The resources are scarce. Yeah. We, I mean, we can't spend months and months in camp to get these athletes to figure out what, you know, to work to their highest capability. Um, But if you had, if you work a whole season with your athletes, maybe they're not the best you know, they're, they're not Eagles at, in college level. I don't have a whole team full of Eagles, but I could get them to work on things that are going to work with how they naturally think, how they naturally move. Um, you know, and hopefully that brings them more joy to the game too. That's, I mean, that's the biggest element is if they can accomplish something that they like doing and then they feel successful with it. That's, I mean, that's money. That's, that's yeah. where it is. Great um, adapt, adaptability into it. Yeah. And I just, you know, you were, you were incorporating that thought from like international to college. And that, that's how I see it, where mm-hmm. there's some disconnects in just the way we approach things. Um, and I don't really know what the, the answer is on an international level. I mean, U.S. rugby players are not New Zealand. We're not going to mm-hmm. be Fiji, but we've got elements of that ball handling, that quick thinking, um, that I think sometimes gets drilled out of them. Right. And yeah, it's unfortunate because I, I think that could be a really dynamic part of American rugby and you're fact. starting to see it in sevens. Yeah. Um, so yeah. I, I, it goes back to the snapshot. Let me ask you this. So you, you went to Howard law, completed a Howard law. For the elements that you took as be understanding as being a lawyer and 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 how to be able to function in terms uh, quick before I finish my point, uh, what what law did you focus in? By the way, <laughs> uh, I focused on environmental. I wanted environmental. to go to Howard for uh, you know the public interest history. I knew I wanted to do public interest law, and if you want to fight <laughs> for the general public, if you want to fight for people, uh, Howard has a pretty depth of history for its public public interest law so nice yeah nice so so kind of did and that's actually perfect so kind of building on that so going to howard law understanding this and especially when it comes to public interest and environmental law where you have to be able to make sure that you are are very authentic and very precise with what your understanding of of um implementation is how do you feel that that training impacted the way that you coach? Do you feel like there was any parallels that came along with that? Because it's a different, like going before, everybody has an ability to obviously process and you figure stuff and you play. But now you're looking at maybe things from definitely more of a piece by piece as opposed, and like you said, you work as a web. So did you feel like what you took from that Howard Law education 
kind of change the way that you logically break down uh, and 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 set up or process the information and to how you implement it uh, and, and present it to others? I think what I brought from law school, um, <laughs> and this is probably why I've gotten farther in rugby administration, is... Mm-hmm process <laughs> and structure system. and yeah and systems and that we need those to be able to succeed uh and you know i say i've gotten farther in admin than i have in coaching not that i'm looking to get far but I've- she's looking to get far she's, she's about to take it to the top <laughs> not at all <laughs> no i have more responsibilities on the admin side Um, And it's mainly because I I keep trying to emphasize the fact that, you know, you can work your ass off in rugby. You can run your fingers to the bone. You can run your bank, your bank account to zero, but you're going to need to move on at some point. And nobody has built a structure so that people can move on and leave something behind Um, so that the next person has a, has a jumping off point. We, we reinvent the wheel all the time and it drives me crazy so law school really influenced that part of it um but from the coaching side i was i i was really i did not do well my first year of law school um because your first year it's you know one two three your your three elements of a crime equal a crime so but I was looking at it as a whole system. And so, I, like I said, I did not do well. Uh, I got that law school letter of going, uh, you're taking on a lot of loans. And are you sure you're going to graduate? Yo! But <laughs> you can double check uh, about whether you want to be here or not. And so, yeah. No. <laughs> so I had to do... I had to do that, but I ended up taking courses again that applied a, a more dynamic process to law right. um, instead of, you know, the statute is this and that equals that, uh, you know, more of the there's life and there's things you don't expect and there's going to be wrenches thrown in your way. And that's how we analyze law. So, our you know, the second and third year courses were more along those lines. Uh so I think for rugby, I could definitely stand to take more of that A plus B plus C equals the result. Um, I think it'll be, it's easier for my athletes if I was able to do that. <laughs> but, you know, I, I have, when I get really, really intelligent, well, I have really intelligent athletes, but they ask these amazing questions. I hate to say it, but the same with law, most of the answers are, it depends. And, you know, so they're wanting something concrete and there's nothing concrete in rugby. Like, okay, you get a penalty. You don't have five minutes to think about why you just keep going and you fix it and you try something else and, you know, you try something else. And so that way of analyzing the law is kind of still the way I analyze a match. Um, but I think, yeah, my athletes would probably want some more concrete answers. <laughs> Look, can, can you just give us the easy way? Look, this is yeah. it, it, how I feel with, like, um, the difference between doing calculus and doing physics. 
I was always good with calculus because it's like if I have the formula, I understand implement this, put this, I get this. Physics, physics, I love the concept of physics. I will take it day in and day out. I can't do physics. I am it is the one thing in my life I've always I've never been able to say otherwise. Everything else I would say, like, look, give me a chance, I'll figure it out. Physics, functional mathematics, does it applied mathematics? Nothing. I will yep. look at put the ingredients in, not even close to the right answer. Nowhere near it. And I'm just like, ah, ah. But that being said, you know, it it is within that that adaptable, that systemic element where it's like give me the framework and then i'll fill in the middle from there and it it at least creates a limitation of where how far maybe i can go with it and then be able to develop in from from that point and i think it helps alongside on that that rugby element so you know what i'm saying is i feel you i'm with you (laughs) don't fight the system make the system (laughs) keep pushing (laughs) i anger a lot of people but yeah I'm gonna, I'm gonna approach the game the way I think is more holistic. So, bring them and find that middle ground. I got you. I got, I got yeah, you, I'm working to find that too on my on my side. So yeah. Oh, I love it. I love it. So we're gonna take off another layer here. All yeah. right, triathlon stuff. All right. So this is is interesting because I always feel like there is this this added component where. After you've done sports, especially if you've done it at the collegiate level, and then afterwards you're not being able to play, and we're gonna ask, I'm gonna ask you later why you weren't playing club. But uh, after after the uh, <laughs> athletic side, we always there's always like this this interest in maybe being able to find another sport, and it always comes down to running. Typically, it's people doing three Ks, five Ks, and all that. I think that's insane, but I get it. You, I don't get it. I, I'm lying. I think it's insane. <laughs> so for you to be like, hey, you know what? Not only do I like to run, I'm going to also swim and I'm going to go bike ride simultaneously. Uh, like what, 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 what was the motivation that brought that into, into face and the fact that you did multiple ones of these? <laughs> well, okay. So let's not get it confused. I was not doing big triathlons. I was doing sprints. They're little. And I was mainly doing sprints because you don't have to run more than a 5k. Uh, cause running is not my deal. It's, it's not where I succeed. It's not where my body enjoys anything. No. Um, but I, I love swimming and I like biking. Um, <laughs> so at the, time, <laughs> at the time I did not realize that there's a thing, um, called a duathlon, which is just swimming and biking. And if I would have realized that, that's exactly what I would have done. Like I would have forgotten the running. No. Uh, especially after you've tired yourself out swimming and then biking, and then you have right. to, you know, run. That's awful. It's, it's <laughs> awful. Uh, yeah, it's horrible, but yeah, I don't even know why I think I needed to find a way to punish my body in some in some way because I wasn't playing rugby um and I was punishing my mind in law school enough so yeah it's I just you know it's one of those I'm gonna see if I like it and there was an element to the training of triathlons you do what's called uh brick workouts Mm -hmm. where you stack either a swim and a bike or a bike and a run 
and, you know, or a swim and a run, you try to right. try to do them in order so that your body, your muscle memory starts to get you used to it. it. Um, so yeah, there's something about a brick workout when you're just dead tired. I, I couldn't think about law school anymore. <laughs> I couldn't Makes think sense. about what I needed to get done. You know, you're just working your butt off for, you know, a couple hours and you're focusing on, you know, all your metrics. Am I meeting certain things? How fast, how hard am I going on the bike? When did I crap out in the run? How do I need to tailor certain things so that I can actually, for me, for me, it was how can I tailor each part of a triathlon so that I actually survive the whole thing? Um, I feel like that's the, that, that's the normal way to go about this. Like, that's, yeah. that's how a normal person goes about How do I survive it? Hey, we can succeed. We can survive. But first, let me get to this bottom part. Let me. <laughs> yeah, and all those people who use sprint triathlons is like, Oh, I'm, that's just my warm up. No, for me, it was, how do I survive the smallest triathlon that you can possibly do? Uh, so yeah, I mean, kudos to everybody who does an Olympic and does a half and all of that, but I, no, um, I'm sure at some point I probably could have gotten myself to do it, but I don't, I don't know. I don't know that longer than a 5k run. I'm like you. I do not understand. Right. It just doesn't comprehend. It doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't come together. I'm like, why? What? Yeah. What? What is it? I get. Yeah, I get running highs. No. I. It, there's no. other ways to get highs. Let me just. Let me breathe air. I'll go into a mountain. Maybe I'll. <laughs> like. Yeah. yeah. My my thing was always just survive the run. I in, I always enjoyed the swim. I would always finish in the beginning of open water swims, and then as long as my bike would hold up, which you know, we've all had to wrestle with that, mm. wrestle with machinery mid-race one time or another. But as long as my bike would hold up, then it was just get through the run. And um, yeah, so I, but but the training of it is really cool because it's the different elements and measuring them and balancing them, um, which I think, you know, I guess is a lot like it's a it's a solitary version of how I look at rugby. Like there's so many different mm. elements. How do you balance them out? Um, you know, like I always tell my athletes, you can be incredibly fast and you can be incredibly strong and you can be incredibly flexible or what, you know, whatever the element that you need for your position. But if you can't carry that body 80 minutes, I, I don't care. Right. <laughs> like right. you have to be able to functionally finish. Um, so yeah, I don't know. That was, I don't know. And, and it makes sense because again, it, it goes back to, as you said, like, Again, you see the system, you see the totality of it and, and, and find that 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 middle inference to to at least say, hey, all right, this is what gets us to our end result. The ultimate thing is let's get to this end result yeah. that we, we were achieving. Uh, and then what happens in between is what needs to be, you know, to push that. I, I find it interesting in the fact that. One, I, I love the consistency of your mindset. Like it, it works across all, all platforms, but um, but even more so, like that it still is. I need to understand what these individual aspects are. It doesn't take anything for granted. Uh, do you feel like that? That's well. Do you feel like that's one of those one of those reasons as to why you became um, and and obviously after the parachute, but became even more enthralled within the administrative and the, uh, the, the, the coaching realm because of the fact that as a player, obviously you impact to a limit as solely a coach, you impact to a limit as an administrator, 
you know, you really are, you're, you're, you're moving a whole ground and then helping everybody else goes along with it. Do you feel like those elements, that thought process adds to why administration also thrived so well for you? I think it definitely did. Um, I think it's a two part because being a, being in a subset community of rugby, whether it's women's rugby, whether it's BIPOC rugby, you know, HBCUs, IGR, there's less resources, there's less people putting effort towards it. So I think, you know, and, and people can say that it's all rugby, it's all one thing, but it's not. We all know that. Right. Right. <laughs> um, you know, we all know who gets resources, who gets attention, who doesn't. And and it's not even a, a bountiful amount of resources that right. we go for. It's, it's a very small piece of a very small pie. That yeah, yeah. Yes, <laughs> big time. Um, and so to succeed in that, you really have to be dynamic, I think, in how you approach it. Um, you know, the <laughs> during COVID, that was a big, that was really where administratively I started moving into like the national sphere of admin. And that was really because I wanted to understand what was happening Right. And how were things being reorganized? You know, there were opportunity, major opportunities for success. And I saw a couple of them and I was really, you know, I'm really hoping that I'm still hoping that they'll take off right. and, and do a lot. But the unfortunate thing is the same people are making, making this, the decisions still. Um, mm -hmm. So that makes it difficult. But just learning how everything is interrelated, because everything is interrelated. Yeah. Um, you know, a volunteer who's working for, uh, you know, LA sevens, somebody who's just on the, on the outskirts of everything. Let's say they're, you know, they're a manager liaison for a team and they're wondering why their jerseys and their kit didn't get there from the laundry on time. Like right. there's a reason for that. And it's usually at the, like, it's a national level problem. Like right. we don't have money that comes down the pipeline. You know, USIR takes in don dues and donations that basically keep the lights on. And to me, at least being able to understand how all of it works together. And it's not just the element of absolute chaos and, and incompetence. Because that's what it seems when you're only in one little piece of the game, it seems like it's just massive incompetence. Right. When in reality, it's so few resources, so few time, you know, 98% of the people doing work in the game are doing it on a volunteer basis. Right. So, and, and nobody's put time and effort into structuring, <laughs> restructuring any of it, even after the technical restructure of um bankruptcy so right. you know for me i hate to say it gives me comfort to at least understand how everything works together but if i can if i can understand the system i can hope to pinpoint places to affect it or you know not just spin your wheels like i don't want to know what the time is in the clock i want to know how the clock works right and because I don't, I don't care if the clock strikes 12 or the clock strikes six 
or whatever. I don't care about the celebration. I want to know how to fix the thing. Exactly. No, <laughs> I want to know I, how to get it to run on time. So I, I, that that's one element. I I I I absolutely. If there's anything that I agree and can understand fully is that that component. It was one of the. It's one of the reasons why I wanted to end up doing the media stuff because it was like I don't. I don't understand how this sport that clearly has an engaged community, it clearly has a base to work on, it clearly has people in positions of influence, does not have a position of influence, not just in the U.S., but worldwide. It, it yeah. seems to consistently undermine its, under, uh, uh, underperform from a public standpoint on a global stage and yeah. almost consistently the same problems exist on every level, which you go, you're like, okay, well maybe there's a couple countries that are having, no, all of them have it. New Zealand, England, South Africa, well, France is up and down, but Ireland, whatever, like you see this consistent problem. So yeah, I, I recognize in that. And I, it also made me start to sympathize with that too. Like, now, you know, you, you work with USA Rugby people. So in the early days, working with the well, communications department, and it's like, oh, I get why it feels like things aren't able to move as fast. Like, there's like three people doing the job of like 10 or 15. And it's like, and then you look at it online where people are like, oh, my goodness, this is da 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 And you're like, guys, you, you got to understand what the game is here to be able to understand how this works. Because even your perception of how other industries do the work are not equal to what you're at, what the actual reality of, of it is. So, I mean, world so much, I mean, you know, I mentioned USA rugby is where the buck stops, but it doesn't, it stops at world rugby. Yeah. You know, when you're in the community and you go, why can't I get an L2 course? The answer actually isn't USA rugby. The answer is world rugby because it's a training and education, which is run by world rugby, you know, and like you said, other countries have been through it. You know, the last time Australia hosted the World the World Cup, they just squandered all of the money. They yeah. squandered all of the grants. Like the lack of oversight and accountability from World Rugby towards the country that was hosting, hosting. hosting. their game. By the way, hosting players. their fundraising game. Yes. Like people yeah. don't even realize the rugby yeah. world cup isn't just like, Oh, we just want to bring a bunch of countries together and we want to perform. No, yeah. this is where their budget comes from. Every four years, the whole budget comes from. The- <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah, exactly. And so, you know, like you said, we look at these other countries and think that they're so on top of it, but if they're on top of it at all, it's because, and I, and I, let it, it fly. Let it it's, fly. Don't hold it. <laughs> it's, no, it's because of corporate interest. Like yeah. Japan rugby went off because corporations created their club teams. You know, yeah. women's rugby is going off in England because corporations are investing in it. They're seeing the groundswell that's coming behind it. And, you know, you get world rugby gave grants to the Australian rugby union. They piss it away. You know, they're worried about that, that because that just happens. Um, And how we balance that in the U.S., you know, there are some really amazing people going after corporate sponsorships. You know, there's worldwide uh, private investment firms that, you know, World Rugby is restructuring their whole 
fundraising with. So, you know, thankfully we're a little further down the pipeline on the, on the world cup calendar. Hopefully it'll even itself out a little bit more by that, but yeah, that, that international investment is, it's not a smooth one. <laughs> no, it, it, it is interesting because I see that too, like, um, especially with the private and uh, private equity firms that have invested. We, we've seen it with one New Zealand rugby union, a U.S. firm, uh, Six Nations. We saw that. Um, and and um, uh, I forgot the other one. But uh, and, and then obviously the Rugby World Cup in and of itself has it, too. But I'll, I'll make this argument. Part of me is also very happy that there is also struggle. So I'll, I'll throw this during the pandemic, whenever basically everybody was on the cusp of going bankrupt. Right. Australia was about to fall. New Zealand was about to fall and the rest of the world was all shut down. I found it really uniquely uh, pleasant, maybe pleasant is the wrong word, comforting, because it took away an aspect that I thought was has always been a problem where there's been a significant reliance on a single entity, a.k.a. a governing body Mm -hmm. to be able to handle and control everything. So. You know, USA Rugby, we saw that element and just how messy it was and obviously our bankruptcy situation. Um, I think uh, New Zealand right now, we we saw it because their union that had been so known for holding both the club, the national and the professional at the same time, nothing, everything starts from there. They've had to start separating stuff out because they weren't able to maintain that that financial structure. The point that I'm trying to get to is... I found it comforting because I've always felt that the idealistic system that rugby has needs to have is more ecosystem than it is, um, you know, uh, than it is, you know, nipple to suck on, to say the least. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and so the resulting need is to be able to create more outside elements to, that help fund in. So vis-a-vis, we want more, maybe, I mean, we got a buku ass like ball creators, but, you know, or Jersey creators, or now we have, you know, whether it is in statisticians or uh, content people, sort of like what we see with American football or with basketball or with cricket, where it's like the financial deals are not just simply there's a professional team and hence the professional team exists to make everything good, but it's, we got an ecosystem. So the betting companies now are able to feed into that, um, you know, corporations are able to utilize that as a tool for their marketing. Uh, it, uh, you know, uh, TV companies pay in because it's something that they can sell on top of. But ultimately, it creates a system of commerce for everybody else so that those teams and those people are able to come back in and and actually, you know, keep feeding the system. And now you have a cycle. But I think the thing that people always fear is that Ultimately, if you do that, the core, uh, the corporate element of the gaming changes the social culture of it for you, because you, you know, both sides, you, I, I, I like the, wait, so, but for you, what do you think, do you think that there is consistent need to be able to develop that? Or is there a hierarchy that needs to be met to maintain some of those older traditional structures? Um, I think that we can develop on both ends if we just bring more people to the game. 
Um, you know, the, the lack of money is pretty much the root of everything, (laughs) Um, of all the issues. I mean, you know, I think about it, I think about it pretty often, how much money or how much, how much work is going unpaid by all the volunteers. And if you actually, like, if you put a dollar amount to that, I mean, I pretty much almost work another full-time job with all my different rugby. And so if you really put a dollar amount to that, like the amount of money that is needed to really run this thing the way people expect it to run is immense. And, you know, that's not going to be supplemented by one corporation. Like you said, it needs to be uh, a whole, you know, business dynamic atmosphere with multiple investments um, from different places. And Yes, it'll probably change the culture somewhat. Um, but I think if we bring more people to the game, then those elements of the culture will will remain. Um, right. The biggest, and, and maybe it'll even mesh a little more. The biggest thing I keep trying to think about um, is what would American rugby actually look like if it wasn't pay to play? Right. You know, if, if, if we could actually fund at the best athletes, the best rugby players, the smartest ones, not just coming from, you know, D1A and NCAA women's programs. If we could actually fund some of these athletes that are diamonds in the rough coming from a D2 program every once in a while, you know, coming, being a crossover athlete but not just looking for crossover athletes. Like right. there are elements of, of, of this that are going, but it's just not as widespread. Like even if you identify a crossover athlete, those, those athletes still have to pay their own way. Right. Um, and then, you know, and then I, I see the result of that being more, more excitement in the game, not right. necessarily excitement I mean, it'll influence excitement from the fans, but players, like there's, there's nothing wrong with rugby celebrating tries like crazy. Like, yeah, you can't celebrate a tackle the way people do in football because you got to keep keep going. Right. (laughs) And and sevens is starting to get this, you know, PR seven started to get it. Um, The CRAA championships, they're looking for rugby to be, an event, an, an atmosphere. Right. And we can bring that, that can be on the field too. Um, and so I think that will, if we see that element on the field, the excitement of our athletes, you know, having a little more joy in the, in the game, then you still maintain the social element of rugby, of the club teams, you know, they'll tailgate a bit, they'll go play their game on a Saturday, come see another match, you know, cheer everybody on or just, you know, watch the game on TV with their, with their players, having a couple of beers, keeping that element of the game going. Um, but again, the pay, you know, the pay to play and the lack of money. I, I mean, I don't blame the athletes at all. They get out there and their bank accounts are at, you know, negative. <laughs> and how are they expected to find so much joy in the game when they haven't had time to gel as a team, you know, they're frustrated 
with what they're seeing on the field. They, you know, we don't teach the basics in the U.S. Like a basic <laughs> pass isn't happening. Um, I, you know, it's they can't find a lot of joy in the game if that's if you're trudging through and getting you know hammered by a team you shouldn't get hammered by. Um, that's why I think sevens has, you know, and again, I'm a prop, I'm a legit 15s prop. So being an advocate for sevens kind of hurts my heart, <laughs> hurts my heart a little bit. <laughs> um, but I think for bringing new people into the game, like it's, it's exciting. It's fun. Um, you know, business wise, you can fit in commercials a lot better, uh, you know, I wanted to die when I when I watched some of the summer series on Flow, and they minimized <laughs> the screen, and the freaking BMW commercial is huge, and I'm like, no, no, it was Mercedes, and I was like, <laughs> never buying a Mercedes. How dare you shrink <laughs> the game to be <laughs> like at like five meter scrums, five meter lineouts? They're like shrinking the screen, and mm-mm, no. So sevens, you can fit in your commercials. I think commercial America would like that. It's a lot yeah. more exciting. You've got, you know, the the diving tries. Um, and, um, you know, I think American populations will probably like it. They get, a, you know, accustomed to the, to the laws of it rather than worrying about, I mean, I'm a fan of scrum laws and like... <laughs> loose head prop just dive and that's why the penalty and people are like who cares like type five players do type five players care but for the average for the average fan that's not what they're gonna be interested in they're here for the action they're here for the action pass a minutia over to somebody else just let me get to where it matters but but there's a, a lot of fun in the game to be had too. Like yeah. that element that we all, you know, if you if we played 30, 30 years, 30, 20 years ago, whatever it is, um, that love, you know, the grassroots love of the game, the goofiness, that all still exists. Mm-hmm. And that's what we can bring people in. No, I feel that. So before we conclude this, I got to talk about <laughs> Howard Rugby because we've gone on everything else. I, I'm very excited, but I, frankly, I'll be honest with you, I love love this. I love when it comes into the <laughs> commerce side. So I, I, I'm catching myself a little bit. <laughs> no, it's fine. I, you know, usually I'm not having an ongoing conversation. Usually I'm like, do you understand the structure of where World Rugby gets their funding and what they're expecting to make off of? the Australian Rugby Cup and the U.S. hosted Rugby Cup. Like, yeah, people don't find that as interesting. (laughs) Look, nobody will fully ever understand how amazing it was that Japan Rugby World Cup, which is was my first Rugby World Cup ever to go to. So I'm not saying there's a coincidence. The saying (laughs) that happened is the most successful Rugby World Cup that they've ever had. Most watched, most profitable, et cetera. So a new standard bearer. Again, not saying there's a coincidence. Just saying it exists. Because <laughs> <laughs> you were there well, it up through the media. That's why. You know, just, just, just you know, sometimes it's a presence. Sometimes you just need a presence. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, you know, it comes into now into HBCU rugby. Obviously, this is something that we both have a very uh, seated interest in. Um, and the creation of Howard, I, I think, is, is very interesting to me because – you know, whenever I initially did the HBCU Rugby Classic, we it was literally just 
for the most part, FAMU, Morehouse, and then uh, PVMU. And then FAMU actually re-dissipated out into the ether. So it was just the two of them. Whenever the, the, the talk about Howard Rugby being built, you as a D.C. or Maryland resident, you know, what was it that that caught you that you were like, you know what, let me come back? Because you were in North Carolina at the time, too, uh, right? I, no, I've been in Virginia. In Virginia. Okay, yeah. okay. Yeah. So, so what was it about the idea of HBCU Rugby that was like, I want to be part of building this? Um, well, there's a a lot of impetus behind that. So when I was coaching high school, my high school teams, um, were majority BIPOC, uh, coaching in Northern Virginia. So, you know, I, I always, I don't, I, I loved, I loved my team. It was always this cross section of different gender identities, different sexualities, different languages, for different religions. Like I just, I, and it was year after year because the players brought in their friends. So it just perpetuated um, and, you know, never really had issues of any, I mean, it was normally our team against, you know, a super pasty team. Uh, That would be the only that would be the only thing um you know there was never really infighting if there was we had great leadership and so you know this was i and and those players when they graduated you know i and i still talk to so many of them they always talk about how influential it was how at home they felt um not being the only one on their team or just even if they were, you know, like they were the only Muslim player at the time, just being fully accepted, fully supported by everybody, not having somebody be like, why do you do that? But being like, mm-hmm. all right, cool. Like you're doing, like, that's you. Uh, we get it. Cool. Yeah. Let's go. Like we're here for you. We're doing yeah. awesome. You want to do that thing? We're going to do that thing. Um, you know, even down to little things like uh, when we were, <laughs> You know, when we would have an end of the year thing or even just like big tournaments, you know, I had majority Latin A girls for a while and, you know, just pass it. They would have pass around the tahine, you know, and like no other team's got like tahine in your bag to put on your fruit. (laughs) Like that, you know, it, it was just it. It made me really happy to see them being able to feel 100% themselves in a rugby uh, team, knowing that the rugby community is very pasty. It's very elite, um, you know, traditionally. We're all working no, that day. No, not even just traditionally, by design. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that just made me really happy. Um, and then, you know, over covid uh, through the BIPOC rugby group, people started talking about uh, putting this bigger effort together, you know, to strategically bring rugby to HBCUs. And uh, Kareel Guthrie, you know, do you have many conversations with her? So do I, you know, she was, she put out kind of an APB going, I need people who are in DC 
who want to be a part of this because we want to start with Howard so that we can start with a conglomerate of like HBCUs that are real close to each other. So people don't have to spend a lot of money traveling. And I was like, yes, you've identified one huge hiccup with new rugby mm -hmm. team travel cost. Um, and then the other is just being able to play teams that at least somewhat mirror who you are. Um, you know, I, I, I haven't talked at length to any of the other, you know, the Southern geographic HBCUs, but I imagine it's not that great when they have to travel three, four hours to go play and they're still going into the middle of nowhere to an all white school, to an all white rugby team. You know, it's that, that feeling of otherness is just built in to that mm -hmm. experience. Um, so to start with Howard, go to Morgan, uh, you know, hopefully get D uh, UDC on board, Bowie, you know, it, it's no longer just us, you know, even looking at Mason, like teams we play, Mason, American, Catholic, like, yeah, they're not a majority BIPOC, but there's at least a couple girls on those teams. Right. So, so it's just, it, there's not this immense amount of otherness. Um, and my experience at how, I mean, I have, Howard has a very, very, very special place in my heart. Um, I, you know, I had a very, uh, you know, it's a, it was a unique experience going to Howard and I learned so much about myself. I was, again, I was really quiet my first year, probably because I was doing very badly and I was incredibly intimidated um, just by law school. Mm -hmm. But, you know, it helped me identify with my native elements of myself so much more. And, it, it, you know, it just it gave me the freedom to see how the see the world in the way I suspected it was. Mm -hmm. But I hadn't been immersed. And so, like, just to get all of that culture, um, all of the influence and then again, to have a legal career spun in a public interest focused way, you're like, oh yeah, the system, the system is built this way. Yeah. <laughs> and I now have proof. It's not just a system. <laughs> it's not conjecture. It's right. It's sustained, <laughs> yeah. substantiated, substantiated. Right. And then just, you know, it's, it's, it, I just, I, I took so much away from that school. Um, and the support of professors and, you know, the, the fellow students I did connect with, I just, I, you know, who I opened, I opened myself up to them. So, you know, we connected and I think I stopped being afraid of the law so much. <laughs> <laughs> Those big books are Once very the vulnerability terrifying. happens, everything is allowed to go in. <laughs> the big books are very terrifying. They're, you know, they're scary and they've got a lot of words. And <laughs> By design, see this, it, the system's built to confuse you as well too. <laughs> very tiring, um, yeah. But I, but I love that. And so, you know, I, I wanted Howard to have, I wanted Howard women's team to have a BIPOC head coach. Really wanted a black woman in there, mm -hmm. and I was on the board of the Robertson and Sullivan Foundation that Kareel started. And, you know, she, <laughs> she was, she did a great job uh, along with, you know, some folks at Old Glory to help bring 
ask coaches in person. I reached out to a number of, of people I knew. And unfortunately, you know, and I, I'm always an advocate because I didn't play for a really long time. If you can still keep playing and you feel happy and your body's still going, keep going. Like Push don't it, yeah. become a coach yet. Keep playing as long as you can enjoy the hell out of it. Um, and, you know, there were a number of women that just couldn't, they couldn't sign on. And I understand that um, running a program, starting a program is so daunting and hard. And that's what HBCUs need. Well, that's what all rugby needs is they need rugby programs, not just team. Not, not exactly. Um, so that those really enthusiastic players that start it because the athletes started it, it's on them. They did an amazing job uh, so that when they graduate, it doesn't all go to hell. And we just didn't find the coach we needed. So I told Kareel, you know, if I, I would rather seem, I know Howard, <laughs> uh, I'm here. And if I have to leave like my other two coaching positions, and this board position, then I will do it. I know how to run a program. I know how to head coach. I care about my athletes. And I know how much of a pain in the ass Howard admin can be. <laughs> uh, and you just have to, like, keep plugging away. And especially after <sighs> COVID. I mean, you know, DC was just hit and miss with who was going to be in an office and what <laughs> were closed. And I mean, again, this is this, yeah. it's one of those interesting challenges that you guys face that I, I was impressed that whenever fall 2020 came around and you guys were like, yeah, we have things established. I'm like, how? How did you guys manage to even enough to even say it? It's one thing yeah, you might not do, but you could say you have confidence to say it. I was like, that's impressive. That's that's something that you're you're pushing other level because. Yeah, no, that <laughs> that was I was a different level of chaos. Even, yeah. even to and, and I'm in Louisiana where we just did not care about COVID, and it was still chaotic when it came. To yeah, well, I mean, Howard was Howard was surprised too because they, you know, the foundation and the students they got the club approved, um, and then mid, early summer. And then they were told they had to get it approved by a different or different office that they were initially told they didn't have to get it approved. So <laughs> they eventually got it like approved right when school started. And then we started asking for like vans and, and field access. And they're like, oh, what man. are you talking about? And we're like, we have <laughs> and they're like, why do you have games? We thought you were just like practicing and <laughs> getting together and like passing a ball around. Like, no, we have a schedule. Yeah we good we ready to go like yeah so i mean you know I, for me especially getting getting matches on the on the board is the big thing because play mm -hmm. rugby's about the playing it's the right part right. it's the real fun part <laughs> so if you're all the time we, 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 yeah as i say it's it's well uh, we pay to train we pay to play we train because we have to actually, yeah. we pay to train, get trained, but you know, you know, you get the point I'm trying yeah. to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> train all you want. It's not going to give you that terrifying, thrilling feeling. Right. Uh, actually, the, the electricity that you need whenever you're about to step on the field and you're like, 
am I going to have enough energy to run for the full 80 minutes? Or, yo, am I going to have enough for the 15? Oh, man, that first hit, that first pass, that touching the ball. Yeah, it, it, it all comes within that that game time. And so as you guys have uh, as you guys have continued to build and develop like that, how have you seen the development of the players over the last couple of years? Because this is going to be, well, technically last year is your la- first full year. This is really your first full uninterrupted non-chaotic by pandemic standard stuff year monkeypox might be a thing but eh, we, this is whatever <laughs> but in terms of like <laughs> we're not sitting here half of our season has to be covid regulated the other half is eh, maybe we got some stuff going on <laughs> yeah this year how, how does it feel like you've seen the the adjustment and changes of the players um well you know we've got so for the women we had no one graduate. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's amazing. I think the yes. men had one or two players graduate. I think just one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, the majority of our athletes coming back is a huge, huge thing. And, um, you know, they're hitting the ground running. I think the interest, and, and I'm really trying to keep this together as a program, mm-hmm. um, But the men, you know, the men are really, and this is, you know, Daniel's from your neck of the woods. (laughs) He loves, you know, I I love that he has just, you know, the HBCU classic really is something that like hits deep, deep home for him. So he's kind of galvanized all the men to really be behind that effort. Um, So that's, you know, that's what they're really focused on. And I'm super, super thrilled about that. I know I, we can we can hit this one out of the park like we can throw a damn it's gonna be a damn amazing event it's gonna be an amazing event yeah and the women you know the women we're we're adjusting we played a competitive 15 season in spring kind of limped through to the end but they made it through so the team itself it's more of a uh you know reassessment of making sure the athletes are have their heads really wrapped around the dedication it's going to take um you know refocusing on what our real goals are which mm-hmm. for the women it's you know it's long term program goals we you know Takunda who's who started the team um you know she's had the same thought i had which is we want it to be NCAA um you know, because none of the men's teams across rugby are NCAA, they can't have that as their lofty goal. But for the women, you know, that's that's what we're looking for. And the the executive committee of our team is incredible. They are all over the place. Our fundraising chair is just always spitting out ideas, um, you know, recruiting. They are all over it. And... Uh, you know, so we'll see once we, once we get boots on the pitch again. Um, but I know they're coming into this season with so much energy, so much enthusiasm and, you know, it's just a matter of balancing all of that. And then also remembering that they're students, they're students first, um, you know, and all of it, even when I played, it was all scheduling. It was get your schedule right, figure out right. your eating correct, when you're eating, um, you know, when you're getting to sleep, all of that. And yeah, we'll, I mean, we'll see how it goes. I'm, 
I'm just always thrilled. We have two guaranteed uh, athletes that are coming from Tennessee that played in high school that'll be playing for us. Nice. And are they MICR kids? No, no. They were um oh shoot. I cannot remember, but they played for like Tennessee State team as well. Okay. Um no, I wish we had MICR. Mm-hmm. The I'm I talk to Shane every year. <laughs> <laughs> Slow and steady recruiting. Slow I know. and steady yep, recruiting. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the Ivies have gotten a real good hold on MICR kids, but you know. Like I said, there's there's no atmosphere, uh, no matter who you are, that compares to an HBCU. Um, and, you know, we're trying to show that there's no atmosphere, no rugby atmosphere that compares to an HBCU rugby atmosphere. We just have to make sure we get everybody on board with it. Oh, I love it. I love it. I I, I appreciate this so much. Where can people find more information about the HBCU, uh, about the HBCU, about Howard Rugby Program? About your classic? About the classic? You know, where, where can they find it? I never talk about this ever. Never. <laughs> where can they find more about Howard? Obviously, we, we got our partnership going on with the HBCU Rugby <laughs> Classic, but, you know, people want to know more. Where can they find more stuff about Howard, support, et cetera, like that? Yeah, so uh, the program is howardrugbyclub.org. That's, you'll find men's information, women's information there. Um, we've got our fundraising. We've got a killer team store with Steamroller that's got lots of gear. Um, the men's team has a, uh, a gear like brand partnership that they've done. The women are doing some limited edition Black Girl Rugby t-shirts with artists that were, that were planning to roll out. Um, and then, you know, you can always go to Instagram, Twitter, it's going to be Howard women's rugby, Howard men's rugby. And, um, if you're on Facebook, it is Howard rugby club and you can join in on that. We'll be updating across the board. Um, we've got a nice little, uh, blog that we call heard in a minute because it's heard rugby and it's just like little min minute read snippets where you can like catch up on what's happening um so we feature you know season wrap up what's happening who's athletes all those all that stuff we're really trying to get out there as much as possible and we've got a lot of love from the media in this year so we just gotta you know all high tides rise all boats so as howard grows all of dc rugby grows and you know that's the big thing is just get it out there get people get people seeing the game 100 facts Catherine, right. thank you so much i like legitimately love this we're gonna do this again because <laughs> yes. there's a lot that i left on the table just for the sake of like <laughs> it's okay let's 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 get people an idea we're coming back for part two we're gonna come back for part two on <laughs> there's plenty to talk about there's always rugby drama come on now <laughs> yo i love it Thank you again, and and uh, I can't wait to see you guys work with well work with you guys more because yeah. it's already happening, <laughs> and then eventually be able to actually see you guys whenever I can get boots on the ground again. <laughs> always welcome. Everybody is always welcome to come visit. You know, I've offered many uh, guest coaching spots here to amazing Black women rugby players. Um, one at one. If you didn't attend an HBCU, you want your first HBCU tour, come come, come visit us. <laughs> Yo, I love it. Thank you so much. No problem. Thanks so much, Gift. Really appreciate it.
Catherine, yo, thank you so much for being on here. Ah, it was great, guys. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Hope you guys took the time. Uh, and and of course, please check out some of our other episodes. Of course, um, learn more and and definitely keep following. Tell your friends about it. And in the meantime, I hope that you're happy. I hope that you're healthy. And I hope that you know that you are highly favored. Until next time, cheers.